The following sermon audio is from Parkwood Kings Mountain in Kings Mountain, North Carolina. For more information, go to parkwoodkm.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkwood. Uh, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Turn with me to Genesis 2. We're going to be looking at the first three verses this morning. And as you turn there, let me remind you of something today. We'll remind you again at the end of the service. We have a campus meeting today, very important for us as a campus to come out. It's 4 o'clock right here. Um, this is not a members meeting. This is a campus meeting where we look specifically at what's going on at this campus. And should make every effort to put come. Uh, I think you'll find it a good experience for you and we'll respect your time and your Sunday. Especially given the message today. And uh, so let's stand in honor and reverence to God's word. Genesis 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Lord, as we read those words, I am reminded of what our brother just told us. Many of us come in here tired this morning. Spiritually tired, physically tired, emotionally tired, psychologically tired. And Lord, so now we lay there those at your feet of a sovereign king who has finished the work. And so, Lord, I pray for your people that today you would comfort them, that you would give them only that which you can give because it's yours, your rest. So, Lord, help us today with this word. Help us with the applications. Lord, we pray that the triune God would work The Holy Spirit would bring clarity and conviction with a message today. And that we would live. And that we would work from your finished work. We pray this in your Son's name. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So hold your place in Genesis and turn with me. This is not in your notes. To Hebrews. I like this Bible that I have. It's got two little of those tassels where you can mark two places at the same time. You might want to try that this morning. Hebrews 4, verse 12. I just wanted to start here this morning. Uh, We're going to end here too, so you might want to mark Hebrews 4. (coughs) Hebrews 4, verse 12. It's going to make a lot of sense when we get to the application and you see the context. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And so as we said these last three weeks, this week being the final, is the introduction to our study in Genesis. And I hope we have seen and will see today how foundational the creation account is to our Christian life. 
Because I just want to prepare you. Because what Genesis is going to do is what the Word always does. It's going to today to begin to penetrate. It's going to get somewhere. It's going to, it's going to do its work. It's going to produce what God's Word says it's going to produce. It's going to, it's going to pierce to our very thoughts and our very intentions. And you don't need to be worried about other bodies' thoughts and intentions this morning. You need to be worried about yours. Let God's Word do its work in us today. Hear what God's Word has to say. Let it come off the page to you. So last week, the last two weeks, we've said there's a sovereign king who created everything. He created a perfect creation. And so he has said it is good, that everything is working as he intended it to. It has a purpose, and he, he working that purpose. It just, he's finished it. The crowning jewel of that work is man, man that was created perfectly to reflect him, to represent him, to manage what is his, and listen, it is still his. Creation is a finished work, and it's God's finished work. And he has given us to manage what is intrinsically, naturally, by his own creative hand, his. And so these three verses are an amazing conclusion to that work. We will see God finishing his work, and God saying, God rested. I have finished it and I have rested. So what is rest anyway? There will be a lot of questions. Like we said last week, it's important to ask the right questions. Is there still supposed to be a holy day? So let's define a couple of words because these are going to be the words. And listen, everybody here is battling the same thing from different extremes. There's, there's a tension over here this morning and there's a tension over here. And it is God's word that must help us bring tension because we're going to err towards either legalism or leisure. So let's define a couple of words because words are powerful and they have meaning. So rest, what are we saying when we say rest? An instance or period of relaxing or ceasing to engage in strenuous or stressful activity. That's rest. So what is leisure? Leisure is free time to pursue pleasures, hobbies, and personal enjoyment. They are distinct. So rest is an instance or a period of relaxing or ceasing from our normal, strenuous, stressful activity. Leisure, then, is personal pleasures. So what God desires for us today, and this is what I hope we can get and see this morning of the message, is that God's rest is neither about drowning ourselves in a sea of leisure or drenching ourselves in inactivity. It's neither of those two extremes. It is neither making it all about you through leisure or through doing nothing. And so, do you see God's Word needed to bring to bear in this this morning? What is the right place to start? What are the right questions to ask? So let's start with Genesis 2 and let's discover God's news of a finished work. So here's the question. This is the main part of the message. We're just going to go through and just ask some questions and see what God's Word has to say about it. What has God finished? First, God has finished creation. Look at back in Genesis 2 and verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done. If you, if you look at verse 1 and 3, it's, com, it's a very redundant, intentionally redundant. 
He's finished all the work that he had done. So he's redundant with this word finished. In other words, and this is important, this is this foundational stuff. God has created his work and he looks at it and says, it is finished. It's finished. This is what he says. This is foundational. God ceases his filling and his subduing because it's finished. The grass, the birds, the animals, us multiplying and reproducing as God has designed it to, everything doing its purpose. It's finished. Everything was created and it's working perfectly. And so first, what did he finish? He finished creation. But let's not miss this this morning. We've already been singing about it. John 19. John 19 and verse 30. This is our Lord on the cross. And make no mistake, he's been working. When Jesus, verse 30, John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he says, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God has finished his work of creation and he has finished his work of redemption. This is what he's finished this morning. And so when we think about this in, in Genesis chapter 2, I mean, was God tired? Because I know I'm going to need one this afternoon. Did God need a nap? Some of us are yawning right now. We need one right now. We just got up. We need a nap. Did God need a nap? Verse 2b, and, re and says, and re God rested on the seventh day. Turn with me to Isaiah 40, 28. Isaiah 40, verse 28. Let's let God's word answer the question. Isaiah 40, verse 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. So when we read God's word, we ask this first primary question. What does it say about God? God does not get mentally stressed out, nor physically tired, nor emotionally weary. God is not like us. He does not get tired. Then why did God rest? And we, then we begin to learn something about resting. Resting is ceasing. Resting is stopping something. So, why did God rest? Three things. First is obvious. We've already said it. God rested because God declared his work finished. That's why he stopped. That's why he ceased. He rested because it was finished. But don't miss this. The second thing. Why did God rest? He rested because he took delight in what he has created. He took delight in it. That's what he's doing. Turn with me to Exodus 31. This is just an amazing way for God's word to account what happened in God on the seventh day. Exodus 31. Look at verse 17. It says, It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord has made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Now that's an amazing thing, isn't it? That's a... That's what I was praying for us as we were singing, that we would understand what this verse means. 
Because, see, this wasn't a refreshment because he took a nap. This was a refreshment of joy as he contemplated the beauty and the perfection of his finished work. This refreshed him. And as we worshiped him, child of God, were you not refreshed? Did we not drive you this morning, hopefully through our worship and through the music, to contemplate the beauty and the perfection of what God has done? This is what God did, but there was a third thing. By resting on the seventh day, God pictured a rest that he would provide for his people. We're going to see that more next week. Almost everything I can do to not start bleeding over into next week's message because they are connected together. There's a work, and it's finished, and it looks forward to a finished work. Is God still working? Turn with me to John 5, 17. As we think about this question, I want you to understand because it's here, it's the culture, this is what, this is what some would say this passage means, that God created it, yes, God finished it, but now not God involved in it. God rested from his work and he's disengaged from you, from me. He's not involved in his creation. Is this what, what this passage means? Is God still working? Well, John 5 verse 17, Jesus answered them saying, My Father is working until now, and I am working. So is God still working according to His Word? Yes, He's still working. The triune God is working. He's working this morning. He's upholding. He's sustaining. He's restraining. In salvation, He's convicting. He's saving. He's judging. He's restoring. We prayed for that this morning. And he's sanctifying. Turn with me to Ephesians 2 verse 10. Ephesians 2 verse 10. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so listen, to this. This, is, this is amazing. We are working. We are working. This is what it's saying. But listen, what else is happening? We are being worked on, aren't we? We are his workmanship. He's working on us, and he's working through us. So yes, God is working. Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. As you turn there, remember, the Bible wasn't created with verses. And so sometimes those verses in these chapters mess us up. And we ended up taking scripture out of context. There's a lot of people preached heresy out of this particular verse simply because they didn't look at the comma. There's a comma between verses 12 and 13. And so when you read verse 12, you've got to read verse 13. Philippians 2, verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So yes, God is working. He's working in you. This is your greatest assurance, not what you did when you were eight, but what he's doing in you right now. God is working. Well, should you ever rest? What's the difference in this tension between rest and Leisure, where's the center? How do we know what to do? First, we must understand the created order. The created order. This is creation. 
He's saying basically go at it for six days. But on the seventh day, stop. This is the principle. Understand the principle. There must be a day when you stop your normal activities. This is the principle today. So, so I know today if your house burns down while we're worshiping someone, the fire department's going to come. So praise the Lord for them. But this principle applies to them as well. There must be a day that they stop their normal activities. This is the principle. Resting is ceasing your normal activities, but rest is not an activity. Rest is, is not simply going to church. And rest, listen to me, rest is not leisure. It's not biblically leisure. Listen, this is, a, this is the second principle. This will help. I, I want God's word to help you form your convictions, not what the preacher says. Rest, leisure rather, has self at its center. This is what you need to wrestle with today. Leisure has you in the middle of it. And this is not what the Lord's Day is about. The Lord's Day is about God. It's about remembering His finished work, the third principle. And it can happen on both ends of the extreme. Rest, but don't trample. Rest, but don't trample. Do not trample the Lord's Day. Do not trample the Sabbath day. Do not trample the seventh day. You know the passage in in Scripture that says if salt loses its flavor, we're the salt of the earth. If it loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. Throw it out on the road. What do you do to things that are on the road? Anybody notice the sidewalk this morning as they came in? (laughs) Nobody pays the sidewalk any any attention. We walk on what is worthless. We walk on things that to us has no value. In other words, we have no regard for it. When we say, use this as an illustration, you don't think about what you walk on. It means that giving no thought to it is the insult. So this morning, as we think about God's created order and asking the question, should I ever rest? The Bible says, yes, you should rest. But the seventh day is not about a self-centered, man-centered activities. And it is not about treating that day as if it has no worth, because it does. So we ask the question, should I rest? Yes. But also in this culture, we should ask this question, should I always rest? There's a question, there's a thought I want to deal with this morning. and So it's not in your notes, Exodus 20, verse 8. This is the fourth commandment. It's important. It is where... It is where God's created order, where God has rested. It's where he tells God's people, so you rest. Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your sons or your daughters or your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourners who is within your gates? For in the six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the question then is, since we rest in the finished work of Christ, isn't every day the Sabbath day? 
legitimate question. Mark 2.27, let's let the Word answer the question. Because there's wonderful truths in that, we're going to get there. But I don't want you to misapply. We need to understand what God's Word says. Mark 2, verse 27. As you, as you looked at, remember a little bit of biblical history that the Pharisees had made the Sabbath day a burden. Just a legalistic burden. Take this many steps, do this many things. Don't spit your water to the ground. Don't pick anything. Don't pick any wheat up. This is what's going on. The disciples got a couple of pieces of wheat. They was making themselves a little trail mix there. They were, they were hungry. And they said, aha, you're, you're working. That's harvesting. Can't do that. Why don't your disciples look after our rules? Here's what the Lord said. And he, Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what is he saying? He's saying a lot. One thing he's saying, Y'all guys are not Lord of the Sabbath. I am. But what is he saying? In other words, this is a strange way to say we shouldn't acknowledge the Sabbath day rest. Is Jesus not reaffirming the Father's plan for the Sabbath day in Mark chapter 2? He is. You see, if everything is rest, nothing is rest. God, listen, this is important. It's foundational. God has no more abolished the Lord's day than he abolished gender and determined sexuality. They are part of his created order and they are finished. It is part of what he created and we do not change it and he has not abolished it. The seventh day is not meant to be a burden to us. That's what the Pharisees were doing. It's meant to be a time of rejoicing, a time of refreshing. It is good news of the holy day. So in verse 3, it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because in it God rested from all his work that he had done. Turn with me to Isaiah 58, 13. You've got to see this passage. It is such a, an amazing passage. It defines the words for us. It defines what, it, what does it look like to trample? What does it look like to enjoy the Sabbath day, to enjoy God's day? Isaiah 58, verse 13. We're going to read straight through it, and I want to talk about it for just a second. Verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <laughs> Do you see the if and then? If you, then I. If you, then you shall. Look at this. Look at what it says. If you turn back your foot, is this not talking about trampling? So we're, we ask the question, well, Stephen, what exactly does trampling the Lord's day look like? According to this passage, it looks like doing your pleasure on my holy day. It looks like, so what does honoring look like? 
It looks like not going your own way, not seeking your own pleasure, and not talking idly. That's what it looks like. This is what God's Word says. This is what it looks like. And here's the promise. This is the promise from God, the God that doesn't change. He says, then, if you don't trample on my day, you're just not going to delight in the day. That's not the point. You're going to delight in me. You're going to delight in the Lord. He gives you a promise. I will make you. I will feed you. So God's defined what trampling is, and God defines what delighting is. We don't delight in things. We don't delight in buildings. We delight in the fact that we know God and He knows us. This is good news. God did not declare it a leisure day. He declared it a holy day. This is what God's Word has said to us. This is about an attitude. And so, mamas and daddies and husbands that are ahead of your wife, we must labor to make this day a delight. It's not supposed to be grim. It's not supposed to be repressive. It's not supposed to be a constant do's and don'ts and scoldings. It is supposed to be a delight for us. It's not supposed to be full of endless regulations. That's what the Pharisees turned it into. It's supposed to be a delight. Delight in Him. Delight in Christian service. We spend an awful lot of time to make Disney World a delight for our children. We plan, we save, we do all these things, and that's not bad at all. The point is, shouldn't we give a little bit of effort to the spiritual enjoyments for our kids? This is what the Bible says. Make it a delight without making it about them. Make it a delight without making it about me. How do I do this? Three things I think will be helpful to you this morning. We need to rest. We need to worship. We need to reflect. We need to rest. This involves both physical and spiritual implications for you. We rest in the fact that you're His. He's got this. That's what we remind ourselves of. And listen, every night, every night, no matter whether that person is in Christ or outside of Christ, every human on the face of the earth declares, I am not God. You know how? We go to sleep. We go to sleep. You, somebody thinks they're autonomous if they want to, but at about 11, 12 o'clock, you're going to go to sleep. Why? Because you're not God. That's why. God doesn't sleep. We sleep. But listen, no physical, no spiritual rest, no physical rest. Our restless worrying oftentimes is not a physical problem. It is a spiritual problem. But yet, understand what I'm saying this morning. I want you to hear me. Resting is not inactivity. For on the Sabbath day, on the Lord's day, there are works of necessity that must be done. Please get something to eat. And please take a bath. That's a necessity. Listen, if you don't do the necessities, you're going to be distracted from worship. And, and honestly, you'll distract the rest of us. <laughs> this is, don't do, there's things that have to be done so the main things are not a distraction, are not distracted from. But listen, you need to rest. Yes, you need to worship. Specific of what I'm talking about here is gathering together with God's people. 
What we did this morning was celebration. That's what we did. We gathered together. This wasn't passive. This wasn't inactivity. God saves no inactive Christians. You are not saved to be a sponge. You are saved to be a reproducer. This is what we, we gather to celebrate. This is our active response. Our lives are worship. But we gather together on the Lord's day together. And this involves work. <laughs> if anybody knows that our, our church knows that. I can look around at every one of you and think what this has looked like in your life the last two and a half years of this birth of this campus. Because on the Lord's day, yes, we rest, but works of piety are done on the Lord's day. What do I mean by that? In other words, works done in performance of worship is not only legitimate, it's the very purpose of the day. We are supposed to do works of piety. We're going to bring those chairs up here in just a minute, and we're going to place our hands on our deacons. Our deacons love to serve. And they serve on the Lord's day. So do many of us. We serve and worship our Lord by serving each other. And we do it on His day. And in this we are refreshed. We reflect. This involves everything. We rest, we worship, and we reflect. We reflect on God's work in creation. is finished and God's work in you is finished. What do I mean by that? I mean that his righteousness is put is imputed to you, and so the holy God, the judge of the universe, sees you as complete in Christ. We celebrate that. We reflect on that today. And listen, when you reflect on mercy, it's going to cause mercy. So that involves another work you do on the Lord's day, and that is works of mercy, works of necessity, works of piety, works of mercy. These are what we do on the Lord's day. Did not our Savior, didn't he think about his life? Did he not do works of necessity? It's not what the disciples did when they got something to eat. Did he not do works of piety? Did he not do works of mercy? Isn't that what the Pharisees were always pointing out to him? And so must we. This is the way we make the Lord's day a delight. So what this morning? As we think about reflecting, I would just invite you to open up uh, this afternoon. You can flip over to Hebrews 4 if you want right now. That's where we're headed. But Hebrews 3 and 4 for you, I think, would change your life in regards to this. If you're struggling this morning, I'm, I'm still not sure. Spend some time in Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. So here's our question. Am I remembering the seventh day and keeping it holy with the light? I'm not asking you what you're not doing. I'm not. I'm asking you, are you remembering it? Are you reflecting on it? Are you delighting in it? You see, this is important. It's God's work. And this morning, what I'm telling you is, it's God's rest. It's His work and it's His rest. And He said, I'm giving it to you. You have the amazing privilege of grace to rest in your Savior. You see, there's this progression in Genesis 2. It's called the seventh day. 
In Exodus 20, he calls it the Sabbath day. And in Revelation 1.10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So that's when most of us talk about Sundays. We call it the Lord's day. Why do we as Christians worship on Sunday and not on Saturday? Is it not that every Lord's Day is about remembering the resurrection of the finished work of Christ our King? Is that not why we're here this morning? This is why you're here. We've gathered to get together to say, yes, Memorial Day is a holiday. That's where that comes from, Holy Day. And we set that apart once a year. But for Christians, we say we set Sundays apart every week because we are saying one thing, Jesus is the Lord of all. He's it. I finished in him. And listen, whether you are inside of Christ or not, you need to be reminded of that this morning. We all do. Jesus is Lord of all. He created it. He's finished it. The work of atonement is done. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God because it's finished. Jesus is Lord of all. You see, we need help sometimes. We need to be reminded that this is about remembering a person. This is about resting in a person. This is about worshiping a person, delighting in Christ and reflecting on Christ. Are you? Have I entered God's abiding rest through Christ's finished work? Look with me at Hebrews 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promises of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who believed enter that rest, and he said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So there is a danger today that the author of Hebrews was reminding the Hebrews and that we must remind us. There is a danger of not entering the rest because there's only one way to enter the rest. There are only two realities this morning. Those who believe and enter God's resting, the finished work of Christ, and those who do not, will not believe, and those who do not enter. This is the two realities. God's people... This is what he's telling them. God's people were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. So here's the question. Did God's people ever enter the promised land? Yes, they did. Remember, they wandered around in 40 years and they all died. Joshua and Caleb was the only ones. Joshua led them into the promised land. Did they keep the promised land? No. Why? Sin. Sin, sin happened, judgment happened. They couldn't abide because they couldn't obey. Listen to this quote from James Montgomery Boyce. Sin is the basic cause of restlessness. And sin is the problem with which we must deal. We cannot handle it. We are sinners. But the Lord Jesus Christ not only can, He does, He comes, He dies, He pays the penalty of our sin. And listen, listen. He opens the door into the presence of God for all who believe in Him. This is rest. 
Rest is being able to enter into the presence of God. And that only comes through Christ alone. Hebrews 4, now look down at verse 9 and 10, says, So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And so Joshua didn't give them eternal rest. We heard from the psalmist in Psalms 95. He didn't give it to them either. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There is a final eternal rest that we are headed towards and we rest in his finished work right now. Have you rested from your work to rest in his? This is the question. You see, Genesis 2, 1 through 3 gives us a little hint of that because it doesn't cite a morning and evening. We're going to see this next week that the rest of God continues. We abide in His rest, in His finished work. So the Sabbath rest is ultimately a spiritual rest in which sinners find peace with God and enjoy His presence. And so Matthew 11 either comforts those who are in Christ or bids those outside of Christ, come to me. Matthew 11, verse 28, says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen to me. Physical rest is a byproduct of spiritual rest. Christ wants to give you rest, and he's telling us this morning, no trusting in me is no delighting. You cannot delight in something you do not trust in. You cannot delight in the Lord if you do not trust him. So I ask the question, how do I know that one day in heaven I will fully, finally, eternally rest, worship, serve, and delight in my Lord. Listen, because I am resting, I am worshiping, I am serving, and I am delighting in Him right now. That's how we know. So we gathered together this morning. Christ rose for us. He rose to finish the work that we can find rest for our souls and that we might enjoy him now and forever. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this, our time together, the message, Lord, there are all kinds of feelings in the room, and oftentimes we are afraid to let people see it. Lord, there are tired people in the room, and Lord, I pray that today, even during this time, you have given them rest. That this rest is not simply a temporal 30-minute nap, but an eternal rest to know you to greater and greater degrees as we approach the beginning of our eternity with you. So, Lord, I pray for rest for your people. I pray for those that are not God's people, that today, through the miracle of salvation, 
you would make them your people. That they would put their hope and their faith and their trust in you. And that in that they might find rest for their souls. Thank you, Lord. That though you are sovereign, though you created all things, though you are the transcendent, omnipotent God, yet you care for my soul. You set us on your lap and you kiss us on the cheek with the graces that you give only to your children. So Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your church. And so Lord, now we stand to our feet to worship you. Stand with us and let's worship our King. Lord.